Please be seated. Let's take a minute and pray together. Or I should say, let's keep praying. We were praying as we were singing. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? Lord, we were just praying and you were listening. We were asking you to restore every heart that is broken. And that's our prayer now as we turn our attention to what you have to teach us by your Holy Spirit from the scriptures. Our hearts are broken. We will hear this morning great promises from your word. And each one, each one is the answer to a deep place of brokenness in our world and in us. Lord, we come to you as people who are hungry to be fed what will heal us. May we come to you not tempted to hide our brokenness and need, but opening everything that we are before you and waiting to be given new life because of Jesus, the Redeemer. We pray in his name. Amen. A couple of questions for us this morning. Are emotions hard or happy? False choice, but if I made you pick one, which one would you pick? Are they hard or happy? Do they help you deal with stress or do they add to your stress? Keep that question in mind as we um, watch a video made by some of our IDX student ministry students. Definitely a lot of prayer and a lot of just, you know, kind of trying to calm yourself down. Um, and so just knowing healthy ways to express emotions, I think is a very important skill. I try to put words onto my emotions and try to separate them individually and figure out why I'm feeling the way about each one. And then try and figure out like where I can go from there to not feel that way or to fix the situation. If you understand how you're affecting others, you can then walk backwards and then understand um, really why you're feeling that way. There's always that voice in the back of my head that's telling me that I should be doing something or that I shouldn't be doing something. But sometimes it's a little hard to listen to that because it's not always what we want to do. At first, they definitely play a big role and then I kind of have to rein it back in um, and just think like, is how I'm feeling irrational or is this a rational feeling? Um, and does this align with what the Lord tells us? Um, someone tells me to do something in my heart or in my mind, I'm just like, I don't wanna do that. Like, if like he told me to take my hat off, I don't really wanna take my hat off, like in my heart, but like, if he actually really wanted me to, I'll take my hat off. But like, when I'm mad, I probably, I don't want to do it, but I'm gonna do it because I wanna be nice. But if I'm happy, I'm thinking, all right, I'll do it, take my hat off. If I'm thinking clearly, if I'm not overwhelmed by anything, I am more easily able to say, oh no, I can go do this. I'm more open to things, like I'm less in my head about stuff. Anger and you know frustration and jealousy and emotions like that will definitely you know, cloud your judgment and make you not able to see clearly. If you're upset with one of your siblings or just not having a very good day and you're told to do something that you don't necessarily want to do, um, then you might not do it with a good attitude and without a happy heart. If I'm upset or angry, 
I oftentimes I'll find what is upsetting me and what is angry and the little things that I wouldn't see if I were, let's say, extremely happy. I would probably not want to hear what they're saying and be less inclined to listen to their opinion just because I would be so caught up in uh, my way of thinking that I don't want to accept uh, what they have to say. They're not me, so they don't really know what I should feel. But if they're like trying to help me, then maybe I could want to talk to them more, uh, trying to understand what they're saying. Usually I try to ask them, like, why do you say that? Or why shouldn't I feel that way? Because I want kind of like selfish validation of why I'm feeling what I am. If somebody uh, like made me, told me that I could not feel a certain way, I would feel kind of confused because um, my feelings um, are out of their control. I think that it's okay to feel things um, regardless of if other people think that you should be feeling that or not. It's just your actions that actually determine whether it's good or bad. I'm gonna focus in on something Liam said for a couple of reasons. One, you're, Liam's doing double duty. He's showing up in our video and he's playing bass for us this morning. Thank you, Liam. Appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> go ahead, give him a round of applause. But um, you kind of heard this, this emphasis in what Liam was saying of, hey, this is kind of hard to figure out. Um, you start talking about emotions and, and, and pretty quickly get into the territory of, this is difficult. I, we need help. We don't immediately know exactly what to do with every feeling we have. Uh, if, if you listen to these teenagers talk, it's, emotions create needs, right? I need help. I need time to figure out what I'm thinking, feeling. Um, if I get too far in my head, that's not a good thing. I need wisdom. Um, it's easy to take away the conclusion that primarily emotions are something negative. They might make life more complicated. So I thought it might help us this week to have a reminder from Scripture that positive emotions are a part of life too. <laughs> that positive emotions are part of the Christian life. Uh, it's not all bad news all the time, right? Psalm 145, in fact, gives us a great window on a question. Is there something so good in this universe that it could flood your heart and mind with joy and celebration even when rage and fear are swirling around us? And not just around us, but inside us. Is there something that good? Psalm 145 gives us a big yes in answer to that question. James, you would come read for us? A reading from the Psalms, number 145, verses 1 through 12. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. 
One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. God. Did you hear it? There was good news in there. There is something so gloriously good in our world that we could talk about it forever and ever, every day. I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. We could talk about it forever and ever and never get bored. There's something that good out there waiting for you and me to know it. Um, a reality that can leave us so staggered by wonder. Wrap your head around this, that if every person who ever lived celebrated it for as long as time lasts, that would be a good thing. Not just the 9,000 in Central America that Cruz spoke of, but millions, millions, billions in every nation could celebrate this one thing with every breath they ever have, and that would be a good thing. There's something like that in our world. That is good news. And that's what all the vocabulary of praise that you hear in this psalm and throughout the whole Bible is about. It isn't just church language. These aren't churchy words, well, praise and bless. You know, it's like the reason this psalm is so full of language like I will extol you and bless your name. I will bless you and praise your name. I want to say that you are great and you are greatly to be praised and your greatness is unsearchable. The reason all that language is stacked up here because that reality exists. There is a God who is that good that if everybody everywhere could praise him forever and ever, we'd never get bored with it. We'd never run out of great things to say about him. That is good news. It is what your heart is, what every heart is longing for, is to find something that good in the world. As full as it is of brokenness, is there anything that good for us? The answer is yes. But as always in the Bible, if there is good news, it is there to offset bad news. And so we have to spend a few minutes exploring that bad news. This psalm doesn't directly speak of the bad news. It, it's the medicine that's trying to cure the, the illness. So let's diagnose the illness a bit, and then we'll take some more medicine, Right? So here's that bad news. Great summary of it from a, the New York Times headline back in December of 2022. That may sound to you like a long time ago. That was 10 weeks ago, y'all. 10 weeks ago, here is what this headline said. New York Times, the year we lost it. We're living in a rage-filled emotional dystopia. Is there a way out? That was the full name of the title of this article, right? 2022 was the year we lost it. 
2020 is the year the pandemic hit. But this article traces out the fact that, hey, it took a couple years for the rage to catch up to us. And collectively as a society, we lost it last year, 10 weeks ago. (laughs) Rage-filled emotional dystopia. That doesn't sound good, right? And then the question, is there a way out? If you read this article, it quotes a film critic who says, hey, here's this movie that had no, no right being popular. You know why it was popular? Because it reflected immense rage at the irretrievably broken state of the world. You hear the word rage, and you hear not only is the world broken, but it seems to be damaged so badly that damage can't be undone. Irretrievably broken. The author interviewed a, psychi- a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist says, yeah, there's a lot of anger right now. You know, anger is an attempt to override fear. Okay, so why are we afraid? Well, we're afraid because we're, we've been made to feel helpless. This is what he said, helpless by random events that are beyond our control. He interviewed a neuroscientist whose special ta- specialty is studying rage. And, and this neuroscientist identified what he calls nine triggers for rage. And if I start listing them, you'll be like, yep, yep, that's me. I, that triggers me. <laughs> right? One is when someone insults me. Another is when my desires are frustrated and I can't make progress toward what I want. And then this long list of threats. When my life is threatened, rage comes out. Family, you threaten my family, rage. When the environment is threatened, I'm angry. When, when my mate or my search for a mate is threatened, rage. When the social order, our resources, my tribe is threatened, you hear the cycle? It's a bad news cycle, right? We live in a world full of threats. When we're threatened, we respond with fear. You join to that fear, the sense that there's no way out, and everything just explodes. There are articles now not just about road rage, but about rage rage. It's how we get angry at watching other people lose it. (laughs) Right? Your rage feeds my rage. Is there a way out? It's a cycle. Well, that's the bad news. The good news is there is a way out of the cycle. God is speaking to us about that cycle of living in a world full of threats. Threats that engender fear. Fear that engenders this this hopeless kind of despair that there's no way out, nothing can be done. It leads to rage, anger, Milder forms, irritation, right? God is speaking to us about the answer to that cycle every time he reveals himself to us as king. Every time scripture talks to us about a kingdom, it's not just church language. It's not just Bible words. It's speaking to this reality. Is there someone out there so good that they can answer every threat so that we don't get caught in the cycle of fear and helplessness and rage.
So every time this psalm celebrates God as king, it's answering that question. That's why it matters that verse 1 starts this way. I will extol you, my God and king, and bless your name forever and ever. When you get to verse 10, the, the king theme pops up again. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. All your saints shall bless you. Why? Verse 11. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man. Verse 12 says, your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. Okay, nerd moment for, for just a second. We are a nerd church, we say sometimes. Here's your nerd moment. This psalm uh, has um, every verse starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, right? So this is like the ABCs of how to praise God. This is the ABCs of how to sing about the power and goodness of the king. And, and the three words that spell the Hebrew word for king, melech, are M-L-N-K, melech. Well, it's the M-L-N-K verses that talk about God's kingdom in here. It's just such, it's, it's very clever and beautiful and creative. And it's saying to us, this idea that God is a king and that his kingdom endures forever and that his kingdom is one of glorious splendor, that really matters. And here's why. In the ancient world, everyone knew without having to be told the king's primary role is the security of his people. Deliver the people from threats. The threats might come from the outside, warfare from another tribe, another nation, or they might come from the inside, internal strife, division, civil war. The king's role is security. Deliver the people from threats so they can live, not in this cycle of fear and rage, but peace, stability, joy. That's the king's role. So when this psalm celebrates God as king who reigns over an everlasting kingdom, it is not a naive vision that says, if you can just sing a happy ABC praise song, your life will be awesome. The moment the psalm says we are celebrating the king, it is saying we know what kind of world we live in. We live in a world where there are threats. We live in a world where joy is disrupted and interrupted. We live in a world where rage can show up in an instant and take away everything. But the good news is the king says, I will put myself between you and every threat. I will put myself between you and them. This is why the Old Testament uses the image of a shepherd to talk about good rulers and kings so often. Because what does a shepherd do when the wolf appears? The shepherd puts himself between the sheep and the wolf. The shepherd puts himself between the lamb and the predator. That's what a good king ought to do. And so a psalm that celebrates God as king is telling us the world is broken, but not irretrievably, because we have a king who has promised to absorb the rage and to put himself between us and every threat. That's a song we're singing forever and ever. 
And it makes us, it begs the question, what's this king like? Let's unpack it a little bit. He's a king over us. Verse three, he is unsearchably great. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. His deeds are awesome, verse six says. I will declare your greatness when I see how awesome are the things that you do. He does mighty acts. The language of, of, of that, that just pops up so many times in this one psalm. His mighty acts, his mighty works. He exists in glorious splendor. Verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works, I will meditate. He is a king over us. We have seen him as his people act with a power that is greater than every threat that claims to govern our lives. Let's think about his mighty act of creation. Is our world governed by randomness and unpredictability? His act of creation says no. He, he, is, he has called order out of the chaos. He has built a world that's designed to help life flourish. Now, we have rebelled against his design, and that has interrupted the flourishing of his good world. But in so many ways, that life-giving design still shows through. Our world is not governed by randomness, chance, and chaos. His mighty work of creation is our reminder of it. And if you can't remember it someday, just go sit outside the birds in Atlanta are louder than the traffic. You're still going to hear the traffic. I ain't going to lie, right? But listen sometime and see if you can't hear a bird singing over it, under it, around it. His mighty act of creation. Do human powers, mighty empires, strong, corrupt people control us? What is his mighty act of redemption in the Exodus, delivering his people out of slavery in Egypt, say to us? We have seen your mighty act. Pharaoh doesn't rule our world. Powerful people have a lot of power, but not as much power as the king. What does Easter, his mighty work of sending his son to die and rise again for us, say? Does does our spiritual corruption govern us or can we be forgiven? Does death rule our world or can the power of the grave be broken and ended? His mighty works tell us he is a king who reigns over us and he reigns over every power that says it governs our lives. That's good news, but here's better news. That king who is over us is also a king who is for us. The shift at verse 7 of this psalm from talking about his greatness to his goodness. Awesome deeds in verse 6. I will declare your greatness, verse 6 says. And then verse 7, your awesome deeds will pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious, merciful, abounding in steadfast love. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. He is kind and gracious. He is tender to the weak and needy. If you keep reading the psalm, the very last verses talk about this. 
It says that um, verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling and he raises up all who are bowed down. How do you lift up someone who's falling? You have to stoop down and catch them. How do you raise up someone who's bowed down? You have to stoop low and lift them. And then there are the pikas. Have you ever met a pika? A pika is this little, like, hamster-sized rodent. I first met them going to visit our kids, Sarah Elizabeth and Scott, when they were living in Seattle, good Mount Rainier. Um, and uh, you start to hear these little noises. Got to go to Yellowstone Park with my in-laws one time and actually see one of these little guys. They're about this big. They'll fit in your hand. What do they have to do with rage? What do they have to do with threats? Is there pika rage in the world? Why are we so filled with rage? Because we're so afraid of all the threats and we're afraid that we are helpless. And then there is a God who is the great king over everything who says to us, I am the kind of God who stoops low enough to catch those who are falling. And then verse 15 says, uh, verse 16, you open your hand to satisfy the desire of every living thing. God says it is okay if you imagine him as the one who holds grain in his hand and stoops down and says to the pika, here, little fella, eat. Take some more. Put it in your burrow. You're going to need to eat it this winter. It's going to get cold. Do you know a God like that? That's the only God who exists. Do you know a God who says, I can count every hair on your head. And I know every bird that flies through the sky. Because I'm not just a great king over you. I'm a great father. My heart is for you. I haven't forgotten to feed the pikas. I haven't forgotten you. He's a king. He's a king who's over us. He's a king who's for us. The ultimate fulfillment of this psalm is in knowing that the king has come to be with us. What ultimately breaks the cycle? Threats. They call out fear. The fear makes us feel helpless. The world is irretrievably broken. Nothing can be done about it. We certainly can't help ourselves, so there's no help to be had. And we respond with just rage. How does the cycle get broken? The king comes into the world to be with us. In Jesus, we see how low this great and powerful God will stoop. We see how far he will go to care for and redeem the creation that he has made. This great and powerful God stoops low enough to take on 
humanity. But the humanity that he takes on in the life of Jesus is not a rage-filled humanity. It's tender and gracious. It's the kind of humanity that finds the leper and says, I'm not afraid to touch you because you're not going to catch. I'm not going to catch something bad from you. You're going to catch healing from me. Our God has come to be with us. Crucifixion is where God says, I will put myself between you and every threat. I will absorb all the rage. The rage of corrupt empires like Rome. I'm absorbing it at the cross. The rage of corrupt religious leaders in Jerusalem. Yeah, the the rage that the evil in my heart deserves has been absorbed by the good shepherd who put himself between us and the judgment we deserve. That's what's happening at the cross. Psalm 145 is being sung and fulfilled again and again and again every time we remember the crucifixion of Jesus. And in the resurrection, this great king was unsearchably powerful but also unbelievably tender and gentle. The resurrection tells us that one day he's going to return and completely fulfill his kingdom purposes. And then every threat will be gone forever. There will be no more fear, no more feelings of helplessness, no more rage. Every pika, fed and warm, forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Trish and I live in Tucker. We're celebrating restaurant week, Tucker restaurant week. You're not just meant to know that that's happening. You're meant to actually go and eat at the restaurants in Tucker. And having eaten there, you're now meant to go tell everybody else how good it was so they will come there and eat too. Not just during restaurant week, but every week. That's how it's meant to work, right? That's how this good news is meant to work. We aren't meant just to read it in the Bible. We aren't meant just to hear it, just to kind of know it, tuck it away up there somewhere. You are invited, and I am invited to take our place among those who love this God, this King, who taste his goodness and then say, come eat with us. Can can we share this feast with others? Because it tastes a lot better than fear and rage.